0: Grace, mercy, and peace to you. From God our Father, from our Lord and our Savior Jesus Christ, and the Holy Spirit who comforts us, in the name of Jesus, amen. No matter who you are, no matter where you live, no matter what you believe, no matter if you go to church or not, you will receive and hear preaching in this life. One way or another, you will hear the words that some person you need to hear and believe in. And you will have to determine if those words are faithful or false. You will either be swayed by their speech or you will reject it, and their words will work their way into your life. Some of these preachers will be good and faithful, proclaimers of the gospel of Jesus Christ, and their words will be a blessing to you. But some of these preachers will be preaching destruction. There will be preachers of the cross that saves. There will be preachers of the devil, the world, and your sinful flesh, whose words will be poison. And that is what St. Paul is telling the Corinthians in our epistle lesson today. The Corinthian Christians were doing a very worldly thing. They were pitting and comparing preachers of the cross against each other. Some were saying they were followers of Peter, others were saying they were followers of Paul, others were saying that they were followers of Apollos, and those who wanted to trump the rest of them said that they were followers of Christ. You see, the Corinthians were doing what people of the world had done for centuries. They would pick a wise person, And then they would say they were a follower of that wise person's school of thought. St. Paul had run into this sort of thing before. In Acts chapter 17, Paul was in Athens, not too far away from Corinth, actually. And he ran into Stoics and Epicureans who were two competing schools of philosophy founded by men who were considered to be great thinkers, those those philosophers of the day, Zeno and Epicurus. And these philosophers would sit and debate day in and day out over the merits and the truthfulness of their teaching. And their followers would take up their teaching and join the debate so that the debate would go on and on and on, and these people would seem to be wiser and smarter, and more eloquent than the rest of us. They would express thoughts that were complex and impressive, and that would gain them more followers who wanted to sound wise and impressive and would begin to follow them again. The church was doing this with the apostles and the evangelists. One say, I follow Paul. He's the one who came and told us the gospel first. He's the greatest. And then another would say, ah, well, I follow Peter. He was a disciple of jesus at the beginning and seems to have a bit of headship over the rest of the apostles he's way better than paul and then another would say well i follow apollos do do you remember how well he preached his words were so eloquent he had such passion he's the greatest and then finally one would say well i follow christ he's the one who sent them all you know These poor fools preach because Christ called them to. Don't you know they're preaching his words? Aren't we being called as Christians? He's the best. You fools are hitching your wagons to the wrong horses. This competition, this division, this pettiness, Paul's not having it at all. The Corinthians were treating the preaching of the gospel As if it were like the preaching that the world offers Pitting ministers of the gospel against each other out of nothing but pure vanity. And so Paul corrects them. He says, is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Were you baptized in the name of Paul? And he goes on to say that he was sent to preach the gospel. Not with words of eloquent wisdom. Lest the cross be emptied of its power. You see, the accolades... And the praise of the world meant nothing to Paul. His name being attached to a school of thought that men would debate to the end of the age was unimportant to Paul. He did not care about sounding smart. He did not care about looking impressive. He simply wanted to preach Christ, the Son of God who was made flesh to die for sinners. It was all about the cross that saves us. And that is what sets the preaching of Paul and the other apostles and evangelists apart. It's not that they were great philosophers who crafted lofty arguments. It was that they preached the forgiveness of sins in Christ. They did not care about impressing you. They were not out to gain popularity or fame. They simply wanted these people to repent of their sins and to believe in what Christ has done for them. And that stands out from the preaching of the world. The preaching of the world does not save. It's vain. It destroys. Solomon says, I said in my heart, hey, I've acquired great wisdom, surpassing all whoever were over Jerusalem before me. And my heart has great experience of wisdom and knowledge. And I applied my heart to know wisdom, and to know madness, and to know foolishness. And I perceived that this was also striving after the wind. He calls wisdom, according to the world, vanity. Striving after the wind. And this is because worldly wisdom, while useful in the world, can't save you. In the end, it can only dig you deeper and deeper into the grave. So, Paul asks a series of rhetorical questions to the Corinthians. He says, Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has God not made foolish the wisdom of the world? You see, when we think about the founders of philosophical schools, what do they all have in common? They're all dead. Not a single one of them has been able to overcome that reality. And why is that? Well, none of them could conquer sin. Their teaching drives men deeper and deeper into themselves, and it drives them deeper deeper into their sins. It can only affirm sin or seek to tame sin, but none of these things take sin away. The wisdom of man ends up being destructive. It buries people in their sins. It hardens man's heart. It warps their minds. And it leads to the destruction of the body and the soul. And that can be seen in what is deemed to be wisdom in this world today. Look at the preaching that you receive from those who are deemed to be the wise among us. Look at the media personalities, the politicians the celebrity college professors, the social activists, and all the talking heads that scream and shout at you, through screens. What are they telling you? Follow your heart? Seek to discover your authentic and inner self? Do what feels good to you? That's all that really matters because we're just cosmic accidents after all. We evolved from apes, don't you know? Well, where does that lead? the destruction of families, no-fault divorce, fatherlessness, and functional motherlessness. Children are counted as wiser than their parents, but only if the parents decide that that child deserves to be born. The mutilation of our bodies so that we can express who we really are on the inside, on the outside, which turns out to be ugly and deformed. The denial of duty and vocation. Hatred towards authority. Hatred towards God. And where does this all lead? Inner despair listless apathy for the truth, violence, lawlessness, and death. You take the conventional wisdom of the day, and what do you see? The wise perish, because their wisdom destroys them. And how often do we buy into this sort of wisdom? How often do we hear the lies of the world repeat it so much that we begin to believe them? Many Christians fall away because of this. Remember, there are two types of preaching that you will hear. That of the world and that of God. The preaching of the world is destructive. Yet, it can be very alluring, especially when you are completely immersed in it, day in and day out. From childhood to our last hour, we are surrounded by the preaching of the world, the lies of the devil, the deceit that would draw us away from the gospel. And the continual calls to give in to passion, to trust the experts because they know better than you, do what pleases you, buy your happiness with whatever wealth you can attain, and never stop letting us entertain you. Where does that all lead? How many Christians have children that believe things that are completely foreign and unrecognizable to their parents? How many Christians have failed to guard their thinking and their hearts so that they eventually fall into trusting the wisdom of the world and reject the Word of God? How many deny the Word of God because they do not want to look stupid and foolishness in the eyes of those who worship death? See, it doesn't matter what political leaders you support. It does not matter if your state is red or blue. It does not matter if you listen to conservative talk radio or watch CNN. The end results are the same. The preaching of those who are considered wise will perish, and it's because they do not have the cross of Christ. None of them is a savior. It says in Romans that it's the opposite. For although they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks to Him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. You see, they valued the creature over the Creator, and they placed their hope in things that are perishing so that they will perish with their wisdom. They worshiped themselves. And that's what kills them. The reason they and their wisdom will perish is that their wisdom rejects the cross of Christ. Paul says, for Jews demand signs, and Greeks seek after wisdom. You see, the Jews demanded signs to prove that a teaching was from God. They came to Jesus, who had been doing sign after sign. He healed the sick, he cast out demons, he even raised the dead. Yet they come demanding another sign from Jesus. They said, give us a sign that we know you're from God. And Jesus says to them, what an evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign. But no sign will be given to them except the sign of the prophet Jonah. And you see here, Jesus is talking about the resurrection. Just like Jonah spent three days in the great fish, Jesus will spend three days in the grave. And just like Jonah came out from the belly of the fish to do what God had called him to do, Jesus will rise from the grave. Yet this sign, the resurrection of Jesus, was detestable to them. They rejected it. They hated Jesus for that sign. As Paul says, this became a stumbling block for them. They could not receive the gospel because of their hatred for Jesus and their denial of the need for forgiveness of sins. They could not believe in a God who would fulfill the law and free men from the curse of the law, rendering all their pharisaism useless. And then we have the Greeks that seek after wisdom. They sought truth in human reason. We should be reasonable people. Reason is good. But they found the cross to be totally unreasonable. One man dying for the sin of the world, the resurrection of the dead, God actually being God who cares and saves and is not distant or non-existent, Who is open, not open to our speculative designs for him. These things are unreasonable when held up to our human experience, our observation, our reason, our wisdom. And so St. Paul warns the Colossians against this. He says, I say this, that no one may delude you with only plausible arguments. Do not let their arguments turn you away from the truth that God has revealed. God reconciling himself to the world through the death of Christ is madness to the Greeks. And that is because they have no conception of a loving and eternal God. They hate that concept. And so they would rather focus on themselves. The Jews and the Greeks demanded proof, signs, wisdom. But Paul does not feel the need to prove what God has revealed. He does not need to enter their way of explaining the world. He does not feel compelled to be counted among the wise. He simply preaches Christ. He does not need their favor. He does not need their acceptance. He does not need to feel important. And he does not care if people think he is the greatest. He wants to proclaim the cross of Jesus. And unlike everything else in the world, the cross actually does save you. Everything else, even if it seems noble, will drive you deeper and deeper into your sins. It will drive you deeper and deeper into despair and death. It will either teach you to embrace your sin or lie to yourself and tell yourself that you can conquer your sin. Either way, your sin rests upon you. But only the cross of Jesus forgives sinners. And this is why Paul says for Jews demand signs, Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to the Gentiles, but to those who are called both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men and the weakness of God is stronger than men. That means that Paul could believe in and preach the gospel with confidence, not because he sounded smart, not because he was eloquent and rational in his speech, and not because he himself was an appealing or charming person. My guess is he probably wasn't. But he could preach the gospel with confidence because it was not his. It was handed to him by God. He was delivering what God had given him to deliver. He did not need to worry about what the world thought of it. He simply preached what God said. It's easy for us as Christians to become overwhelmed in the world as we see evil flourish, as we see strange and foreign thoughts begin to be propagated and taught to our children and to our lives. Yet we have something that the world cannot produce. We have the gospel of Christ. We have the power of God and the wisdom of God. And though it may seem foolish to the world, It's what saves us. And this is the wisdom of God. It's to place what is good and perfect into what the wise would consider detestable and weak. And that's because the cross of Christ is for those who are truly detestable and truly weak. It is for those who know their sin. It's for those who have been humbled before God. And St. Paul says, "...for I consider your calling, brothers." Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards, not many were powerful, not many were of noble birth, but God chose what is foolish in this world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring nothing to the things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. You see, Christ has come for sinners those who are poor in spirit, those who are mourning, those who are starving for righteousness. He came for those who can find nothing good in themselves that could redeem them from their sin. He came for those who are being crushed under the burden and the weight of their law. Christ comes for those who are overwhelmed by the evil that seems to constantly prosper in this world. He comes for those who are hurt And see no relief in sight. He comes for those who have fallen and failed because of their pride. He comes for those who have been broken and beaten continually by the conventional wisdom of this world. He comes for those who are despised by the world. Christ comes for sinners. And he is placed upon the cross for sinners. He suffers and dies for sinners. Those who see and know that all they can earn for themselves is death have Jesus, who takes their death upon himself. He becomes their sin. He becomes their weakness. He becomes what is despised by the wise, and he puts it to death in himself. And then he says, I've done this for you. You are free from your sin. Live in me. I live in you. I will give you what the world can never give. I will give you peace. And then he wraps this all up in things that seem really foolish to the world. He says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And the world looks at this and they, they observe our church and they see us washing a child in the name of the triune God and they see nothing of value. To those who are being saved, though, it is the greatest and most important event in any of our lives as we are made alive in Christ for the forgiveness of sins. And then he says, hey, this bread is my body and this cup is my blood, which is given for you for the forgiveness of sins. And the world looks at this and sees a flaky, stale piece of bread and some cheap wine and says, this is nothing. But for you, who have been delivered from the world you know it's a participation in the body and blood of Christ and a proclamation of his cross until the end of the world. And as Jesus sends men out to preach the gospel, and the world sees a fool in weird clothes standing in a pulpit before a bunch of people, well, you know, and you see past the man in the ridiculous outfit and rejoice that the gospel of Christ is administered to you and your need. See, the world cannot comprehend these things. They will laugh at it. They will mock it. And this is to be expected. But for you, it is your hope. It is your joy. It is your life. Because in all of these things, you can say with confidence Jesus died for me. You can know what that death means because you are freed from the world. You are freed from your sin. You are called out from darkness and despair and death, and you are given light and hope and life. And that is because God has been gracious to you. Your sins are forgiven you. You are made into a new creation that is not bound by the world's foolishness, because you are bound to Christ. You are joined to him and he to you it has nothing to do with you. It has everything to do with him because he loves you and has made you into one of his children. And in this, he has made you wise. Not with the wisdom of the world that is marked for destruction, but with the wisdom of God that saves and will never perish. And so we preach Christ crucified. We are glad with St. Paul to be considered fools by the world. We are made wise unto the gospel of Christ. We find relief from the world's foolishness and the wisdom and the power of God. We gather together as a congregation of holy people marked and set aside by the Lord God to receive this gift. Jesus has forgiven you your sins. God has provided his mercy, his love, and his grace for you. His son dies to forgive sinners, and that includes you. You who trust in this promise, you who receive this gift in faith, you are wise, and you put the wisdom of the world to shame. In the name of Jesus, amen. Now may the peace of God that surpasses all understanding guard your hearts and your minds to life everlasting. In the name of Jesus, amen.